Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. I'm going to speak just, I mean, this is going to be a, a short message for me. I get to speak, as Jim said, around the world. I'm 31 years into this now, and I travel a lot and speak a lot. We just flew in from London um, about five nights ago. We were in uh, uh, Los Angeles. Our son's an actor in L.A. Uh, he's six foot nine, by the way, and uh, he's a comedian, a stand-up comedian, so you can Google him, Dan Prevett, but he's not rich yet, but I worry about him being in L.A. You know why? Because I'm worried about the direction of our culture in North America. And I come to churches and I often speak, and you're going to hear this this morning, God is calling us to open our eyes and see what's going on in the world in a fresh way. I am going to start this morning. The theme will be about keeping your heart tuned to what God is doing in the world. And I don't want you to forget the primary call of being a Christian is that your life is an expression of God's grace. This morning we sang this great song. How many of you know who John Newton was who wrote Amazing Grace? You know who he was? He was a clergyman. That's when he wrote the song. But he was an African slave trader. He spent years trading slaves out of Africa and driving the ships back and forth. And he was a brutal man. He was a harsh man. And he came to faith in God. And I've actually been in his church in, in England, in Olney. And he came to faith and he wrote that powerful song. And that song has been sung all over the world. It was written in the 1760s. And God's grace is sufficient for us. Amen? Amen? You see, he discovered what I discovered. My little short story is I grew up in an orphanage. I was abused as a kid all the time. Have you ever known an angry teenager? I was one. I was in fights all the time. I didn't get along with anybody. I hated, they made us go to church at this children's home. I hated it. I thought everybody was a hypocrite. I went to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. You know, I studied chemistry and political science. That's a great combination if you're an anarchist and you want to blow things up. You know, we made bombs in the chemistry labs and LSD and everything else. It's the Vietnam era. I was an angry, angry young man. And then after university, I thought, well, you know, that's all. I'm not interested in politics. I want to make money. So my wife and I, met, we hadn't been married, but kind of met in Alaska. Then we went down to the West Indies. I got involved with money laundering, racketeering, and gun running. This is a really great background for Assembly of God missions, if you'd like to know. And God called me, saved me out of that background. So I know God can save anybody. God is no respecter of persons. Doesn't matter if you're high-born, low-born, wherever you are, God loves you just the same. You are his child. He is committed to you. He loves every one of us. And I had this marvelous experience in 1982. Actually came into a church with a pistol to beat up a pastor, and I got saved. <laughs> and it was an Assembly of God church. Actually, I thought it was a cult. So I came in to get Kai out of this cult because she had been saved first. And then God called me into the Assemblies of God, and lo and behold, I ended up being a missionary with the Assemblies of God. You talk about God having a sense of humor. I am just amazed at what God does. 
I often feel like I have no right to stand up and talk to people given my background. But what I do have a right to say is that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord. I point to him. I point to his grace. He is the reason we gather like this. That's the story. That's the good news. Okay, so i got to watch the clock. I'm going to show you a real short little video. I'll set this up for you. So if you'd have said to me 10, 15 years ago, Bill, you're going to end up living in Oxford, England. You're going to be a professor. You're going to earn a PhD. And you're going to be influencing people from all over the world through Oxford, England. I would have said to you, and I'm saying this in jest, but I would have said to you, you're probably smoking crack. Because <laughs> I am not interested in being in Oxford, England. I was out in the rough stuff. God called me to work in probably the most intellectual city in the world. There are 38 colleges in Oxford, England. The first college was founded in 1135 AD. And it's an incredibly amazing city to work in. I'm going to show you a little video that was made of a church where Kai and I work. It's a church that's been converted into a research center. It's about a 250-year-old church. That's a new church in Oxford. And we have converted it into a research center, and we have 122 people from all over the world who come to us for about six weeks every year. They study about missions. They're from Africa, Asia, the Middle East, all over the world. They study and go home. Friends, God is working in the world. He is raising up some incredibly powerful people. Let's ask this question. I didn't ask it before. How many of you know where the fastest growing churches in the world are today? Where are they? China's growing, but the fastest growth is in Africa, southern Africa. If you ever want to go and have a great church service, go to southern Africa. I got to preach in Zambia a year ago. I'm telling you, you preach for three hours there. I said earlier in the other service, they don't want you to preach for a short time. It's like, you Western people, you worry about the clocks. We have the time in Africa. Preach the word of God. So they often tell you, preach two, three hours. God's working. Let me show you this video. It's just something. It was made with a drone. One of our students is a drone pilot.
Very quickly, that church was built 250 years ago. It was a time when there was a movement going on. There was a great evangelical revival, but that movement died. And the church got cold, and that church was abandoned. No one was using it. About 50 years ago, we acquired it for, listen to this, 20,000 pounds. That building is worth, I don't know how many million pounds. And we turned it into an international study center. So what you saw there are people from China, people from, I saw people from Pakistan, people from India, people from all over the world. Now, these are senior leaders. These are leaders who are leading churches just like Jim and I. They are leaders. They are people who are working with the gospel in leadership, and they come to sharpen their skills in their minds because they're working in places where the world is messed up. How many of you know we live in an increasingly complex world? And I have asked this question now for years. I've gone and this is the last thing on that slide. Let me ask you a question. Raise your right hand if you think things might get worse in the next five to ten years in the world. Let me see a show of hands. Okay? Now, that's pretty much what you get. Now, how many of you in this room actually have hope and believe that the church matters and that the gospel has meaning? Raise your other hand. Raise the other hand. Now put both hands up and say, I'm conflicted. Because <laughs> if you're honest, you have to be. The world looks like a pretty blown out place right now. If you're living here in Salt Lake, you're not seeing what I'm seeing when I travel. But we are seeing real threats to home and foreign. So in London, in Paris, it doesn't matter where you are, there can be a terror attack. And we live in this time of great uncertainty. There is less cohesion and agreement on how to go forward. Nobody agrees on anything. Governments are in turmoil. We look around us. I mean, name the countries. North Korea, Russia, Sudan. Sudan's in a civil war. Syria's in a civil war. Hey, you look at the news every day. You can get depressed. Right? Or you can begin to say, we just need to hunker down in the bunker and take care of us. Friends, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is, be a light to the world. Go to the world and share your light. Bring hope to those that don't have it. Jesus is calling the church around the world today. And so I, have, I, want, I want to say to you, it's very important that you see, can you go on with this next slide? I've got just some snapshots of what I want to give you today. I'm going to give you just little windows into the world. I'm going to talk about children in Asia. I'm going to talk a little bit about what's going on in Syria. North Africa, I found that slide yesterday just doing some research online. Look at the conditions all across those countries. Governments underthrown, open revolt, protest. Living in Europe, just north of that map is Europe. We've had over two million refugees come into Europe in the last two, three years from all the conflict in North Africa. Many of the people watching history say if this continues, Europe will be Islamicized. I don't believe that, because the gospel will always have impact. What they're not telling you on the news is how Muslims who come as refugees come, become Christians, how churches are being started by back, Muslim background believers. You come to London today, I can take you around. There's all kinds of churches, not of English people, but of people from around the world, from Nigeria, from Sudan, from even these countries. So the world is changing, and i got to few minutes to talk to you about it. Here's my prayer for you from the Apostle Paul. It's from Ephesians 18, 1, 19. 
first chapter. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I stand here, I look at your faces, and I pray for you that your hearts and eyes will be enlightened. It's kind of an odd phrase, isn't it? The eyes of your heart. What does that mean? It means to see with your heart. Not just your physical eyes, but to see what God sees. How many of you have had an experience where you've sensed something from God you could only know that God gave you? Let me see that. How many of you have experienced God in times of great pain and turmoil in your life? When does it seem that God speaks to us the loudest? Is it in our pain or in our successes? In our pain. C.S. Lewis used to say, he was from Oxford, God shouts to us in our pain. So God speaks, and God is close, but God wants our eyes to be open. He wants our hearts to be open to the world. And it's so easy in the day-to-day routine, I know, even in my own work, that it's easy to get trapped in the day-to-day and not look out. Friends, all of us live under the same sky, but we don't all have the same horizon, because the horizon is where you're going. The horizon is what you're living for. The horizon is what you believe to be true. What are your goals? What do you want your life to amount to? What do you give your time and talents to? I sometimes feel that God has to cure us of a disease. It's called myopia, but it's spiritual myopia. Uh, A number of you wear glasses in here. Do all of you know what nearsightedness is? Nearsightedness is I took off my glasses. I cannot see you now. You just disappeared. I can see colors, but I can't see you. I'm very nearsighted. If I don't have glasses, I can't see far away. Myopia is when you only can see things up close. A lot of people live that way. All they can see is what's right in front of them. What's coming up today? What's coming up tomorrow? What bill do I have to pay? What's going to happen tomorrow? God doesn't see the world that way. God sees everything. God sees the whole world. He sees all peoples. He sees all these conflicts. So another definition of myopia is when you become narrow-minded. You become intolerant. You don't want to talk to people of a different background. You don't want to have anything to do with them. God help us to continue to be open to people who are not like us. Help us to be open to other people, to love them, to share with them the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever should believe in him, God help us, because it's so easy to lose sight of that. Back to one more scripture from Paul. I want to read two more. I want to read two places in Corinthians and then tell you a couple stories. This is 2 Corinthians 5.18. Many of you will know this verse. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us. Now say, gave me. The ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Put your hand in the air and say amen. Because God isn't counting your sins. If you're a Christian, you've been forgiven. I don't care what background you come from. You're free. You're free. You can live now as a free person in Christ. You are not bound to a system that's broken and falling apart and bondage. Because you're free in Christ. 
And he has committed to us the reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank God for the Apostle Paul. I couldn't have written that. But we've been saying that in the church for 2,000 years. This is the gospel, friends. We've been called to be ministers of reconciliation. And one more text that I'll read. Colossians, once you and I were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Take a breath. Breathe. You're free. You feel that? The Holy Spirit's here. Can you sense God's love for you? You know, you come in church and you sit in pews, but friends, you're free. The gospel's been your gift. Now, you see, if I'm preaching in Africa, you know what's happening there? Everybody's on their feet. Everybody's saying, thank God, hallelujah, because they know oppression. They know bondage. They know what it is to live under the boot of the oppressor. We have forgotten that in the West. We sit, I mean, you ought to be up here with me. People sit and listen to you like this. Let me tell you something. God works this way. He was crucified that you might have life. Let a little joy into your soul. This is not bad news. I know I'm kind of a hard speaker. I kind of, I press hard because I only get a few minutes. He's your pastor. He lives with you. I get to come in here and throw a hand grenade down the roll. <laughs> Say, wake up! Because we got to wake up. I don't know who you think is going to do this if you don't think the church is going to do it, but I believe the church is the hope for the world. I'm going to just throw out a few lessons here, a couple things I've picked up. We'll start with Thailand. So, then, you know, you do what I do, and Kai, you go around the world, you do get, you don't see all the, I, I used to actually grow hair at one point in my life. I can't do that anymore. And there's a lot of scars you don't see, but God's been good to me. God's been good to us. We've been through some tough stuff. Thailand was a wonderful place to work. It's 99% Buddhist. That means less than 1% of the population is Christian. And when you go there, you have to learn this language that's a five-tone language. And I felt like I was sticking a sharp stick in my eye every day because I can't hear tones. And it's very hard to speak Thai. And then God called me to work with kids at risk and trafficking and this mess of human exploitation. And I went into this huge slum the name of this place was called Dendang. The trash, friends, I'm not making these things up. The trash in that area was this tall for 30 blocks. There were rats running over the top of that trash that were chasing cats. <laughs> not kidding. And those rats were chasing little kids. That's poverty very few of us have ever seen. That's the kind of poverty that happens in a city like Bangkok with 22 million people in the size of Salt Lake. And they are living on top of each other, and there's areas that are desperately poor. And God called me to work there. And so I learned this lesson of faithfulness of God to those who are persevering. How many of you would be willing to persevere in your faith? 
say, I'll persevere. I'll hold the stuff. Even though there's resistance. So in Thailand, it's a hard place. You don't, I mean, you, this would be a mega, mega church in Thailand. But you know, one of the things I learned, it was the small things that God did. So I went into this slum. I wanted to work with kids. I wanted to just start a preschool because these children couldn't go to school. So I went and negotiated with a big government puyai, a big government official. He treated me like I was a, you know, just a, you know, a lowlife because I'm a, I'm a Western guy. And the first thing he said is, I don't think you're here to help all children. I think you're here because somebody's paying you to do this. Who's paying you to do this? And I talked to him for over an hour, and I explained to him, I'm here because God loves the children of Bangkok. Now, he's a Buddhist. He doesn't believe that. And he said, you really believe that? And I said, yes. And he argued with me, and he was very articulate. He had been trained in the West. He had a degree from Harvard. And he, he told me, he said, well, how are you going to make this difference? I said, one kid at a time. Let us just set something up for these kids. He said, you know what, young man, by that time I'd established my role with him. He said, if you actually believe that, I'll give you permission to work in 10 slums in Bangkok. And we set up preschools, we set up schools, we set up feeding programs, and God gave us a great opportunity. As Jim said, we started churches, we got to work with the Thai National Church. I would have never believed that could have happened to me. It was a marvelous opportunity, but it was difficult. And there were days I wanted to go home. Have you ever wanted to quit? You ever been discouraged? Welcome to the club. But God honors people who persevere. God honors people who say, I'll stay in this thing. I'll keep at it. So we worked there for about eight years, and then God said, I want you guys, we had friends that loved us, but the Lord said to us, move to Cambodia. Cambodia is right next to Thailand. Do you know anything about the nation of Cambodia? Have you ever heard the term Khmer Rouge? Killing Fields? Pol Pot? Nod your heads. You've heard these names. So this country fell to the communists in 1975. This was a radical communist government. Their soldiers were just like this. They were all young kids. And they were armed to the teeth. And they took the country over. And then they began literally... On April 17th, they began to kill people who had rings on their fingers, had ink pens in their pockets, or wore eyeglasses. Because they said, you're a collaborator with the West, and you die now. And within three years, they had killed two million people out of eight million. They had closed every school, every bank, every hospital, every public service had been closed. Can you imagine what would happen to the United States if that happened here? anarchy, except this Khmer Rouge army was bloodthirsty and ran it. So the country was like run over with a steamroller. And then we were asked to go and work there. And I was like, is this God? Would God call me to take that beautiful person and that back then, how old was Daniel? Eight years old? And we were being asked to move there? I went over for a weekend to kind of see what was going to happen and I saw so much pain and so much suffering and People were missing legs. There were 8 million landmines in the ground. And oh, the pain of that city, Phnom Penh. And I literally began to discover, how is God so close to the brokenhearted? And in Cambodia, I saw it firsthand. God is close to the brokenhearted, and he cares for those who are in pain. Jesus is a friend to those the world has tormented and abandoned. 
You may not be those people, but I can tell you God is their friend. And we worked there, and we got all kinds of things that happened to us. And I, this is a very short time to talk, and I have to pick one or two stories. I know, I'll tell you about the coup. We went through a military coup d'etat. We lived there for three years. Things got rough. It was everybody had an AK-47 on the streets. That's just the way it was. You got so used to violence that you were just living in it. And you got to see firsthand how God would come and you'd be ministering to people and wondering how is God going to change this situation. And I saw kids that age come to Christ. I saw young kids start to follow God. I saw miracles. I saw people being healed. I saw these things that are in the Bible. And it was amazing to me. And then there was a military coup. The army that was running the government was divided in half. And tanks rolled into Phnom Penh where we lived. You do not want to wake up some morning and hear what tank shells sound like when they're coming through the air towards you. You know what they sound like? They make that wild, wild whistling noise. You've probably heard it in the movies. You hear the shh, boom, and they're blowing up all around our house. And we went through a military coup. It was, it was horrific. We had to evacuate all of our families out. I was going to go out. All They told all the foreigners, they said, last time this happened, they killed all the foreigners. Get out of the country. I was going to go, but my, bless my uh, area, my regional director, Bob Houlihan, my leader, he called me from Springfield, Missouri. Bless his heart. And he said, Bill, we see what's happening on CNN, and we need somebody to stay behind in Cambodia. I said, well, you better find them pretty quick, because we're all leaving. <laughs> and I was going to go. I mean, everybody was going to go. It was like, this is, last time this happened, this country fell to pieces. He said, I want you to pray about it. I hate it when people say, pray about something, because if you pray, God will speak to you. The question is, are you going to answer? God's always speaking. Most people hear God and go, that ain't God. That's my, that's my digestive system. <laughs> God said, stay behind. So Kai and Daniel, 5,000 foreigners flew out of the city the next day. I stayed behind. I thoroughly expected to die. That was my faith level. They were burning the city to the ground. I drove back into the city. They were shooting people point blank range. I'm going, I'm an idiot. Went to my house. They put me under house arrest. And then God showed up, and there were no missionaries. That's an odd one, isn't it? God can work even when you don't. And I can tell you, God wants you to be a part of this, but he'll do what he's going to do. And what we discovered when we finally got him out of the house five days later is that God had been showing up all over the place. This is the kinds of things that happened. You ever seen a B-40 rocket? You fire it off your shoulder. Probably seen it in the movies. They fire a rocket off your shoulder. They fired rockets into church, churches that were made of straw and bamboo. The churches blew up and nobody was injured. What began to happen is the Khmer people, those types of people, began to get a hold of God. And they realized that this was not the white man's God. This was our God. And they began to get in touch with a real God. And we have been, we have been preaching. We have been there. But I think the kids really thought it was our God. And what happened? Make a long story short, when we went there, there were probably less than 800 Christians in Cambodia. I said in the earlier service, so I'm going to correct this. Right now, there's 1.5 million Christians in Cambodia. And friends, let me tell you, God is close to the brokenhearted. It's that country that has taught me that God does things that you cannot predict. 
One more story from Romania. Are you bored? I could stand up here all day and tell you stories. But I don't want you to think of these as my stories. What are your stories? What stories will you have to tell? What exploits will you need to tell your kids about? Live your life as an adventure, friends. Do some risky things. I mean, Jim's going to ask you in a little while here, give some money. Give some money away you don't have. Take some risk in the kingdom of God, and God will meet you. Now, Romania, this is where Nicolae Ceausescu was the guy. Maybe you heard of this story. When he took over this country, he banned abortion. Listen, ladies. He said to all the women in the country, state law, you will have five children. This is required by the state. And if you don't, we'll check on you and we'll tax you. What they wanted was a new population to staff Securitate, the KGB. They put 400,000 children in institutions because parents could not take care of them. These children were institutionalized in warehouses. And by the time communism fell apart in 1990, when the wall came down, you could find thousands of kids that had been living in institutions with no parental care, no love, no instruction. And if you've ever seen a kid who has never been cared for, who's angry, you can multiply that times 10. And we got there, and there were literally in Bucharest, there were 30,000 street kids living in the sewers under the streets. And it was another one of these, what is God going to do? You simply don't have the human resources. You've got to lean on God. And God led us to start getting involved with this kind of work again. But what I was so good at doing by this time is I said, God, lead me to people who care about this stuff, who will actually put their heart and soul into it. So I met Christy Shoimaru, a young guy, 19, 20 years old, he could be in Parliament if he wanted to. He was brilliant. He had come to study law, was sitting in a restaurant one night, cold winter night. It gets cold in Bucharest, 20 below zero Celsius. And a little street child came up, leaned against the glass, and he was freezing on the other side. And Christy had never met a street child. He went out and gave the kid something hot to drink and a piece of bread. And he said to that little boy, where are you staying tonight? He said, come, and I'll show you. He took Christy to the Gata de Nord, that means the train station. There were 10,000 children sleeping in the, in the gutters under the train stations. Christy Shoimaru walked away from law and business to become a rescuer of kids. By the time I got there, he had started. He and I became like brothers. Jim, I've never had a friend like Christy. I'm sure that if something happened to Kai, Christy would be by my side. Friends, there's nothing like being in the stuff with God. That's where you develop friendship. That's where you develop the real fiber of your life. And Christy and I and Kataline and others, they didn't have Teen Challenge, so we started that. And what happened was eventually many of these kids got cared for. Now these kids have grown up. One of these kids, imagine a little boy like that who had been sexually abused since he was two years old. His name, I could say his name and I'll preserve it, but I'll call him Georgie. He was sexually abused from two years old. He was scarred. He was torn apart. A Christian person adopted him in her home. First five nights, the little boy went through the house with a knife and cut up all the furniture. Actually attacked her biological daughter. 
And that mother, Oltitsa, and that is her real name, Oltitsa cared for that child, helped that child. Today that kid leads worship in his church, and he's studying physics at the university. And he's an incredible, incredible musician. That's a kid that would have ended up on the trash dump of history unless somebody had cared for him. Friends, that's the gospel. Caring for people one at a time. Making that kind of difference. Last thing I've got on there is something about Syria, and I'm not going to have time to get to a story. I do want you to pray for this nation. So the next slide I have is now that we're in Oxford. I'm very involved with North Africa, and we have some people we're working with in this area. Read these numbers. At least 700,000 trapped in besieged areas. 4.9 living in hard-to-reach areas. 6.3 million internally displaced. Statistics don't help you. You can hear these statistics all day long. They won't change anything. Let me tell you in a short way. A friend of mine is working in that country, went to a Muslim village, started praying for a person who, she prayed for a woman who had a debilitating back disease. The woman was healed. Her husband was a sheikh, the leader of the local mosque. He became a follower of Christ. He's called a Muslim background believer. And now in his village, there are 1,000 new Christians. That's in that country. I'm telling you, I mean, it's just God that's at work in our world. So passage I had you look at, this is it. Go back and read it in your own Bibles. Let's remind ourselves again. I won't, if you can put that final slide up for me. Let's remind ourselves again of why we remain committed to missions. God has given us the message of reconciliation. Now say it. I'm an ambassador. You're an ambassador to Salt Lake City. You're an ambassador to West Jordan. I don't know where you live, but that's where you're an ambassador. You're an ambassador here. I'm an international ambassador, but friends, we go together. We are one people. We are joined together in Christ, and we represent him. And thank God that we are forgiven and that we can share the good news. Amen? Amen. Thank you. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.